there's a great need in a lot of places for people who are stupid enough to go there. Um, and I promise you, if any editor is uh, watching, I am stupid enough to go there. You name the place, I will go there. Hello, and welcome to Here in L.A., Pico Union Edition. Today, we talk to Sean Beckner Carmichael, a.k.a. A Cat with News. Sean is a citizen journalist, an activist, and a wine song. What? Yes, indeed. He has worked in some of the swankiest restaurants and hotels in town, and alongside some very famous chefs. Then, on the side, he goes out into the mean streets of L.A. and documents protests and the sometimes shocking things that go down there. You may have seen him get arrested while on crutches alongside William Film the Police. Well, Sean was the one filming Mr. Film the Police. We will talk about the cops, the protesters, the city hall, cats, and even the nuances of the Santa Barbara and downtown L.A. wineries. We will? We will. So let's welcome a cat with news. Hey, everybody. I'm here with Sean Beckner Carmichael. That is the one. How do you say it? Uh, Sean Beckner Carmichael. I love people with hyphens. Thank you. Because there's always a story. Mm-hmm. What's yours? Well, uh, as far as I can tell, um, Beckner Carmichael is Gaelic for uh, my folks uh, don't get along too well. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of going on Ancestry.com. Maybe it's because of the nature of what I do, but I'm always a little wary of looking into family backgrounds too hard. It always feels a little <laughs> weird to me. Uh, but... The family story is that uh, a few of the Carmichaels got on a boat. Uh, one of the Carmichaels became pregnant on that boat. Oh. And uh, were told that they were no longer a Carmichael and on Ellis Island changed it to Carb Mitchell. Oh. Uh, whether or not that's true, I have absolutely no idea. I. I I all I know I, I know so little about you. Okay. Outside of uh, the few times that I've I've seen you on Twitter mm-hmm. and the few articles I've read of yours, you're an excellent journalist. Thank you. Very very good on Twitter too, which is not easy to do. And um, I think a lot of people probably know you from going to these uh, protests and shining a light. Let's start with this. You were the subject on in the L.A. Times. Mm-hmm. When you got arrested for shooting video um, at a uh, Black Lives Matter event, and they called you an activist, and it, it and it, it it struck me because in a way the the story was you can't arrest journalists during a thing, <laughs> but in that story they call you an activist, which I would think devalues your standing as a journalist. What do, what, what's your take? Well, I want to be clear. Um, I don't think activism or journalism um, necessarily are uh, different things. Um, I would say that uh, what I've always viewed it as, as um, you know, when I started kind of getting into the journalism world, one of the things that's really crazy is I got in at probably the easiest possible time to make mistakes as far as tone goes. Um, and also, you know, I come from the activist world. Um, I don't, you know, make any secrets about that. Um, you know, and I sort of gradually shifted into, 
hard journalism, uh, soft journalism, whatever you want to call it. Um, I will say this: uh, I don't, uh, I don't like picking a picking a fight with uh, with the LA Times. I have some friends that work there. Um, I have some uh, people that I respect that work there, mm-hmm. and uh, there's also some people there that I think do a really bad job. Uh, mm. And I think some of those people. I think perhaps maybe have an outsized influence on um, sometimes uh, the writing there. But um, look, I don't I don't run the L.A. Times. Um, I don't think anyone would want to read the L.A. Times if I ran it. Uh, Because what would you do in it? What would I do if I were the L.A. Times? Well, first of all, I'd hire back all of the editors and photographers, especially the photographers that speak Spanish. Um, I think that that's uh... because rec- for those who who don't know, um, well, they haven't been fired just yet. Mm-hmm. As of this recording, um, what is this? The twelfth of June, thirteenth of that June. That sounds about right. Something like that. Um, there was a uh, they're they're going to get rid of seventy four people, mm-hmm. and uh, two of them are uh, Spanish speaking photojournalists. I heard that when somebody heard about this, they decided to uh, resign. Therefore, leaving one space open, which one of the Spanish photographers is going to retake. But I think your point is, is that a lot of these uh, editors and web producers, especially young people, are a little shocked and, and pissed off because they're like the lowest paying people there who are doing a whole bunch of work on the website. And I'm sure when they were recruited, um, they were told this is a digital first organization. Yeah, well, people. Obviously, I'm not part of the LA Times Union. I don't work for the LA Times, uh, despite some people screaming at me's opinion. Um, but one thing I will say is uh, there is one problem that I see, and a few people have kind of been picked, picking up on it, um, and one really big problem, which is uh, the LA Times has always had a diversity problem. Um, I mean, even the LA Times will admit that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had made... De- depending on your opinion, either real and genuine efforts or token efforts, I'm not in that newsroom. I can't speak to that. But when you have a very bad diversity problem and you are getting slowly, you're, you're hiring people with more diversity, and then your contract specifically states that layoffs need to be done in order of seniority, well, that sounds like a recipe for going back to the same diversity problem that existed before. Um, so I hope they figure it out. Um, I and, and, and that clause you're talking about, I'm not familiar with it, mm-hmm. is saying that the more uh, experience you have, the the less likelihood your expulsion is going to be. That was that was what I read in the um, and it was very funny to read the L.A. Times article on the L.A. Times layoffs. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, it's gotta I, be tough. I think that was Meg James who had to write. That. I think it was Meg James. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't even imagine how difficult it is mm-hmm. not to, uh, especially, you know, I think people forget with journalists, you know, we, there, there's, 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 there's an important thing, which is being fair, mm-hmm. right? Um, objectivity, you know, it's funny. I, I talked to old journalists versus young journalists and clearly they changed what they taught in journalism school Mm. right around the mid 2000s as far as uh objectivity is uh, an ideal um fairness is a goal right so um you know if i see two people kicking an old person who did nothing wrong and one person 
uh, saying, hey, maybe don't kick that old guy for no reason. Um, <laughs> as a journalist, it's important for me to say, number one, two people kicked. Number, th- you know, number two, the old guy didn't do anything as far as I know. Uh, and number three, there was a guy saying, stop doing that. What is not good would be for me to say, I talked for 10 minutes to the guys that were kicking the guy and also the guys telling them to stop. And here's what they both said <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, without any sort of contextualizing or framing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, data gathering is important. I really I've, lately I've been nerding out about data because data doesn't yell at me. <laughs> uh, but OK, let, let, let's let's pause for a second here. Again, you're known as the guy that goes to the places where they're going <laughs> to yell at you. Yeah. And it now, but but you're also a human being, mm-hmm. so it's got it. Some of it's got to come through. And and I, I I'm not putting you on the spot because I think our second interview ever on this podcast was uh, William film the police, mm-hmm. who said that yeah I I yell at these people and basically everybody applauds what he does out there, mm-hmm. but he says it's hard for him some nights to go to sleep because that's just hard emotionally on mm-hmm. you. Is it hard emotionally for you when you well, go out there? You know, I with protests, regardless of the protest. Um, here's the thing uh, about protests, uh, and this this took me a while to internalize, but it really helps me uh, get the very little sleep at night that I do get. <laughs> um, regardless of what someone's beliefs are, right? Be they. Uh, I believe that we should recycle more because some protests are about that, right? Or sometimes the protests are about, uh, this is a false belief, but sometimes people genuinely hold that Hillary Clinton and the rest of the Democrats, as well as trans people, are harvesting children for sexual gratification and organs Hmm. um look uh we have to contextualize these beliefs when we write or when we film right Mm -hmm. uh that's important um but it's also important to understand that these are genuinely held beliefs and i'm passionate about certain things You, you think they really do believe these things i think that there's a few cases where that's not true um so uh, in the case of like the QAnon stuff or, mm-hmm. you know, some of the, the more extreme, um, well, for example, yeah, you, you've, you've had clashes with proud boys mm-hmm. and people like Tony moon mm-hmm. who, it, in fact, just the other day, or it might've been today, Andy Ngo, how do you say, <laughs> how do you say his last name? Uh, I believe it's pronounced Nyo. Yeah. Nyo. Okay. Andy Nyo, uh, Send his his people out on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy says ridiculous things. Do you think he's being sincere? I uh, I'm unaware of Andy knows. Uh, All right, fine. So posting. so the, the problem. No, no, is, I, I could look at it. I just well, it, here's 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 my problem. Yeah, I don't believe them most of the time. Okay, I think they know better than well, this. I think it's also I think you have to separate the Andy knows of the world from um, the people who are on the street, right? Mm-hmm. Andy know has not attended any of these things in a very long time as far as we can tell Mm -hmm. um so uh we can we can talk about sort of the you know the the misinformation disinformation in a second Mm -hmm. but as far as the people who are like screaming 
um, in front of a school, screaming at um, trans people, screaming at um, politicians. Um, <clears throat> we all have our opinions on who's right, who's wrong. Um, you know, I certainly, uh, I don't think anyone would be surprised by my opinions on all of that. <laughs> I think uh, that's not surprising. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, my job, and I haven't always been perfect at this for sure, and I think people oftentimes uh, who are not covering protests as often as I do don't quite understand that, like, hey, like, you're a human being, and, you know, when you're getting, you know, kicked, punched, shoved, screamed at every single day, you know, there does come a time where you have to be like, hey, man, uh, don't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, please stop. Um, you know, I, I'm not an action figure, you know what I mean? Um, but you know, as far as I, I think you're, uh, alluding to sort of the Glendale protests, uh, and the Satakoy elementary protests more specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do they really, they know that drag queens don't turn people gay, right? Uh, <laughs> look, I... I'm not in their head 24 uh seven. -huh. Um, I think I have a few responses to that. Um, you know, number one, I don't know if a lot of people know this, you know, but I grew up mostly in like Northwest and South side of Milwaukee. Oh, did uh, you? yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's why I, I'm, I'm, I'm electing to ignore that Cubs hat. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's if, if this were back home, this would be a whole thing. Being from Milwaukee, um, you know, growing up, I think I'm older than I think people think I am sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm 36. Uh, so, you know, I witnessed, uh, a, a lot of changes in how America, especially like places in the Midwest, um, relate to LGBT issues. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, Milwaukee is Milwaukee. It's not the same as the rest of Wisconsin. Um, right. The homophobia certainly carried over mm. when I was growing up. Um, but, you know, I remember uh, Matthew Shepard, right? Um, that was in the mid-90s. Um, he was... <clears throat> A uh, gay man who um, was brutally beaten and murdered. Um, his corpse was left um, basically desecrated. Um, and uh, that got a lot of news. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it also ended with a fairly well-known play. Um, that caused a lot of, I think, specifically white moms um, who had previously not, we're speaking generally here, mm -hmm. um, been sympathetic to gay issues. I think it caused a lot of them to realize that could be my son. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, uh, you know, I grew up with the, with the F slur constantly being uh, thrown out. Um, Tony, I think you're, are you Gen X or Elder Millennial? I'm, I'm Gen X. You're Gen X? Okay. So I'm I'm an elder millennial. So we, there's a lot of language that I that we both grew up with that sure. like yeah. I think back, you know, and I go, oh my god, like, yeah. you know, and language changes, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and generally speaking, language changes organically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I am lucky enough to have grown up around um, a few gay folks. Uh, didn't turn gay. I actually turned <laughs> like I love professional wrestling, basketball, and fishing. Like. <laughs> That's <laughs> it, it, just what these 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 guys wanted you to be. Yeah, exactly. You're wearing you know? a flannel. You got. Yeah, I know. I was gonna say I'm wearing normal like sneakers on and yeah. jeans. Mm -hmm. You're exactly what the Midwest wants their their boys to turn into. Yeah, and I think growing up, you, you came know, over got, with a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, heck yeah, I man. Mean, 
same over here. And yet when I was 12 or 13, back then it was called the Gay Parade, the San yeah. Francisco Gay Parade. Mm-hmm. And on Saturday, it was mostly gay. Mm-hmm. On, on Sunday, it was dykes on bikes. Yeah. It didn't turn me the slightest bit gay. It did make me go, I like motorcycles. I don't know what that <laughs> says. in the Pico Robertson area. I uh, was in the Pico Robertson area until yesterday. No, oh. I was in the Pico Union Pico area Union. until yesterday. Uh, I am now in the Pico Robertson area. So hopefully when people are listening to this, uh, I will have a all I will have everything unpacked. Tell me about Pico Union. So Pico Union uh, is actually like one of the most interesting, um, challenging, amazing neighborhoods in all of los angeles i think everybody who's ever been to pico union can agree like it's this huge area and no one ever talks about it and there's all these cool things about it you know it has this amazing history um you know it's this is what this podcast is for yeah when when people go to pico union and don't know that they're there yeah what are they mostly going there for uh so there's a couple things you can go for um if you are just going to relax and go there Number one, please, 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 in Pico Union, please go to the small bakeries and the small taquerias and the small liquor stores. Please don't go to the CVS. Um, Please don't go to the Walgreens. You know, it's a neighborhood that does, uh, frankly, not have as much of a cash influx as Mm -hmm. others. Um, You know, I uh, have spent most of my life being the guy who is in a neighborhood where I have to be very conscious of where I'm spending my money. Um, Good man. I, You're a hippie, man. I'm Just a hippie, and it. I also I think that there's a responsibility um, to, you know, when you're in some ways a guest to a neighborhood, right? Yeah. Um, there's a responsibility to make sure that that's where your money is going. Mm-hmm. Um, this this area, according to the LA Times, is south of MacArthur Park, mm-hmm. um, and it ends. It's it's southernmost part is the ten freeway, so basically yeah. on your way to USC. Uh, you you wouldn't say that? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think yeah, I, I would agree generally with that. I mean, we could talk about like the Westlake MacArthur Park area as sort of you know they're both sort of an extension of each other, mm-hmm. but um, I haven't agreed with everything on that LA Times uh, neighborhood <laughs> uh, chart, which, but which that is, one, which is interesting, we don't either. But but they're the standard. It, mm-hmm. it, this thing is the standard, and maybe with your data, one day the LA Times will pick you up, and um, <laughs> you can improve on this. I mean, it is kind of old, but um, it, notable people from your neighborhood, Jim Jones, the founder and leader of the People's Temple. There you go. Um, Larry Elder, who is mm-hmm. almost your governor. Well, I mean, <laughs> we talked about data, I think— uh, he wasn't anywhere close to being your governor, was he? No. The, you know, I, I used to be really obsessed with uh, – I think this will surprise people, but I'm kind of a data nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be really obsessed with election math and things like that, which is why uh, some of the some of the people you've come, brought up on, it, you would laugh if you saw me watching it because, like, when um, – 
you know, with Kathleen uh, mm-hmm. was a guest, like she was talking about election math and I was literally like on the edge of my seat. Like I'm watching professional wrestling, like she, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Um, you know, election math is important. Um, you know, and the reality is, is uh, in California, a candidate like Larry Elder, who just wasn't, it, it's just wasn't going to happen. No. Um, I think that there's an argument. Uh, I don't feel comfortable saying yes or no, but I've heard this argument a lot from people that are smarter than me, which is most people, mm. um, that he probably got better numbers uh, than he would have in a normal election and sure. still lost by a significant amount. Oh, yeah. Landslide. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even close. It, it, nor should it have been. The man's not experienced. He was saying crazy things. He was saying that minimum wage should be zero dollars. Like, mm-hmm. come on. Uh, that, in all of in all of California, that's the best that the the GOP had. Let's 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 go back real quick to uh, Pico Union. Yeah. Fine, I won't eat at the McDonald's. Please don't anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, where should I eat? Uh, well, uh, there is a really lovely Salvadorian restaurant. Um, I first discovered it because I'm a big Wu Tang fan. Um, <laughs> it's called El Tical, uh, and um, they serve, uh, you know, mostly like really simple, um, you know, Salvadorian food. Um, but they also, and this is really important for when. I have a day off, which is very, very rare. Uh, They actually have La uh, Bohemia, uh, which is my favorite Mexican lager. And it's actually hard to find outside of places like Pico Union because most people think of Mexican beer as, you know, your Coronas. We're in Southern California, so mostly Modelo here. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're just lovely people. Um, Everything has just... Well, I don't know anything about I don't know anything about Salvadorian food. Okay, what should I what should I order to eat? Uh, well, the most important like staple thing of if you're gonna go to a restaurant and you um, want uh, great food, um, I feel so, like such a silly person describing El Salvadorian food. Uh, <laughs> but um, hey, I, I what, do you, what do you mean you're from I, Milwaukee? I am I am a chef, so I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, but. Uh, you know, you really want to start with pupusas. Okay. Um, if you like quesadillas, and if you don't like quesadillas, then I don't really want to talk to you. I don't. Well, that's, we feel bad for you. It's the perfect food. It's cheese <laughs> and like the tiniest little bit of other thing. Like what cheese perfect is delicious. Perfect food for a Wisconsin. Exactly. Person. Exactly. Um, so it's essentially um, to translate. Uh, I don't know who listens, but I'll. I'll I think I know who to translate for. Uh-huh. Uh, think of like a puffed up quesadilla. Okay. Um, oftentimes with, uh, you know, an ingredient, you're usually, if you go to a great one, they'll have at least 10 different options of things to put in a pupusa. Mm-hmm. Um, heavily suggest uh, grabbing uh, squash blossom. Oh. Um, very, very good. Um, and hey, if you're vegetarian, that'll work. Yeah. Um, it's usually served with uh, like a light slaw, like almost like a cabbage slaw, which has just like a little bit of piquant uh, mm-hmm. and usually um, some kind of like slightly spicier sauce, which sometimes is like almost like a salsa rojo, but uh, other times can be a little bit more kind of tomatoey, a little bit more um, sort of ancho or uh, not ancho, but um, like ancho where you have a little bit more of that kind of uh, spicy, uh, toasty, almost uh, smoky flavor. You are giving away what you do for a living. 
Yes. You, well, according to your LinkedIn, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you can never trust anything on the internet these <laughs> it's days. It's true. It's true. Uh, it says that you were a sommelier. Mm-hmm. I still am. And a champagne expert. Yes. Have you been to the Champagne uh, region of France? I have been to the Champagne region of France many times. Ooh, la uh, it, Do uh, parlez vous? I, uh, very, very little. Uh, very, very little. Um, and it, I, it, they didn't care. They, they don't care. Uh, so in France, uh, particularly in Champagne, everyone speaks English. Um, as you go further south, uh, you are going to see a little bit less people that speak English. Um, I love the French. Um, Oftentimes they do speak English, even if they pretend not to. Uh, it's a bit. Uh, you just gotta that they poke do. them. But yeah, in Champagne, you know, everyone speaks English. It is um, one of the most beautiful places in Europe. Um, it's it's not it's not as beautiful as Campania in Italy, which is my favorite place in the entire world. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's what's really glorious about it is it's. I love unique places and you know, you do this podcast, so Mm -hmm. you love unique places. What's really unique about Champagne is, uh, first of all, it's so far North that grapes don't actually grow, uh, naturally there. They had to be brought there. Uh, it seems as though the Romans did that. So, uh, you know, in the, we, we, the Romans didn't want to go South or they didn't have a train line or, well, so, well, yeah, (laughs) they didn't quite get the train built for another couple, (laughs) uh, couple thousand years, but, um, so when the Romans were conquering Europe, um, eventually, you know, they, the Romans were notorious for wanting to get hammered, um, mm-hmm. which, hey, uh, you know, uh, force, there, there wasn't the internet forceful, forcefully conquering the known world. Um, you know, you need, I'm, I'd assume you'd need to get toasty every once in a while, right. um, you know, to either not think about what you had to do, or at least because it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what they did was as they went North, um, they were planting grapes with them because that's, you know, part of the sort of Roman identity. And, um, what they did was as they got into Champagne, there's these really interesting, unique, uh, chalk based soils. Uh, it's part of what's called the Kimmeridgian Ridge, uh, in Northern Europe. And, uh, it makes for very, very unique grape growing process because, uh, the grapes that grow there don't get a whole lot of sun. Um, they don't uh, get to mature quite as much as, say, the Napa Valley in California. So you have these very, very acidic grapes. So eventually, someone got around to, um, and by someone I actually mean specifically uh, the a few churchgoers, Dampragnon, Dampragnonart. Um, all those were real people at one point. I, I never knew. Yeah. So, uh, and then the the Madame Clicquot, Vauve Clicquot, uh, the widow, uh, eventually sort of helped along this process. But someone got around in r- roughly the late 1700s to realizing, hey, this wine needs a little something, right? So uh, they decided to intentionally make sparkling wine, um, which was a new process. Sparkling wine often happened accidentally. Uh, and, uh, that's how champagne became a thing. How about that? Mm -hmm. This is why I love this podcast. (laughs) Even though we're talking about Pico Union, Mm -hmm. Pico Robertson, you end up wandering off into, uh, Mm -hmm. 18th century, uh, France. So yeah, champagne is my favorite beverage. Um, when, when, when did that first happen? When did it dawn on you? That you love this. That I loved wine and champagne. Champagne. Um, you know, 
Because, it's, again, it's not a Wisconsin thing, I wouldn't well, think. it isn't, but drinking is. That is true. Drinking is very much a Wisconsin thing. Mm-hmm. Um, some would argue too much of a Wisconsin thing. Well, who would do that? Uh, Paul the, Ryan, God, you sh- you shut your mouth. <laughs> the health department of Wisconsin, <laughs> of the state of Wisconsin would probably argue that. Um, but... Uh, you know, I always, uh, you know, I love beer too. I, uh, I can get down with some beer. Don't get me wrong. Like one of my tastiest, most beloved beverages of all time is a high life with a little bit of Campari in it. It's called a spaghetti and I love it. Hmm. Um, it's, uh, not the most classy beverage that I drink, but <laughs> the end of a hard day, it'll, it, it works out. But, um, you know, I, I've always been a nerd. It's, I, I talked about data and things like that. I like to know stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that seems like a silly thing, but I'm like overly curious mm-hmm. oftentimes. Uh, and, uh, eventually, you know, I started managing restaurants. I worked for actually a few like very big deal restaurants, um, at a very young age. I'm actually very lucky. Um, it kind of brought me out of, uh, some not great situations when I was a kid. Um, and eventually, uh, a sommelier, uh, who was working at a, a very famous restaurant, um, he'll kill me if I say which one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he let me uh, do work for him for free um, in the wine cellar, um, which now that I'm a, you know much older, I realize that I was kind of getting exploited there. Uh, but I'm glad it happened because, um, you know, as part of letting him work for free, he would let me taste the wines. Um, and when you were a 21 wink wink <laughs> year old kid, um, you, you know, and you're being given, you know, $100, $200, $300 bottles of wine to taste, um, you know, that's going to interest you. It's going to pique your interest, especially when you're, you know, a kid from Milwaukee, you know. talking about wine real quick mm-hmm. we live so close to santa barbara we do where i went to school mm-hmm. have you done the sideways tour have you do, do you do you love living so close to santa barbara i do love living close to santa barbara um i haven't done the sideways tour uh but um santa barbara is i think the most interesting wine growing region in the united states mm. um it's certainly one of the most diverse you know as you get closer to the coast over in santa maria you have Chardonnay, you have Pinot Noir, and you have, you know, vineyards who are producing it in very different, you know, who are making grapes in very different ways. You have all these really cool wineries that are like tiny. It's like two guys, you know, doing what they want to do. And all of them are doing things slightly differently. And all of them like love the soil, love what they're producing. As you go inland towards Los Olivos, you have Syrah being produced in large quantities. You have uh, Grenache, you know, so you have like kind of a, a Rhone type of situation um, where it's a little bit sunnier, um, you know, and you also have what's really unique about Santa Barbara is you have these tiny little uh, pockets of not just, you know, the big couple, but you also have little pockets of things like Blaufrankisch, which is an Austrian grape, and you have uh, Mission all over kind of the central coast, um, which has like stone podcast, but uh it's very important to the development of not just uh wine in uh the united states but um you know it's very important in the story of how we all got here Mm. 
you know, and um, wine is culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as human beings started to stay in one place, almost exactly at that exact same time, we have archaeological evidence that people were fermenting fruits. Um, so, you know. Because, take... because they could. If we, if we were wandering. Yeah. You can't really do much of that. There's that. There's also, I would argue, um, you know, uh, if you're having a nice glass of, at the time, what was, you know, wine beer mead, uh, it was kind of a combination of all three a lot of the time, uh, you're a lot less like, you know, it's, it's who you want to sit down for a minute. You want to enjoy it, right? <laughs> uh, there's a winery downtown. Yes. Have you had their 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 wine? Uh, there's actually, uh, if I can let you in on a little secret, oh? uh, there are several wineries who are sourcing from downtown. Is is downtown a good place to grow wine? Well, uh, believe it or not, Los Angeles started uh, very much once the missions arrived here. Mm-hmm. Um, Los Angeles was known as being one of the major producers of wine in the United States. What year are we talking? uh, We're talking late 1800s, early 1900s. Huh. Uh, So um, San Antonio Winery, uh, first of all, even if you don't like wine, it's it's actually a pretty dope tour. I'm not going to lie to you. It's Mm -hmm. pretty cool. So uh, San Antonio Winery has a long history uh, of being there. Um, Believe it or not, uh, Men's Central Jail uh, used to be a vineyard. Uh, In fact, that entire area used to be... Uh, vineyards, and um, I'm not going to say exactly where because I've got a little project going. So when they tear it down, maybe we can bring it back. Maybe, <laughs> who knows? I mean, it would be pretty. I mean, listen, Italy, France, and Germany all have you know cooperatives that are partially owned by this. By by, maybe we can have an LA wine. Um, we have wines made in LA. There's Byron Blatty, uh, who sources mostly from Rancho Cucamonga area. Mm. There's uh, Los Angeles River uh, project, which sources from all over. Um, there's also uh, Moraga, uh, which is uh, owned by uh, the former owner of Fox News uh, in Bel Air. What? Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of vineyards there. So, it, okay. Again, I don't know anything about it. Anything mm-hmm. really? Yeah. Uh, I just thought because I've been to Napa, mm-hmm. and when I lived up there, I would install satellite dishes in people's houses. Okay. And once I did it at, at a vineyard, mm-hmm. and instead of a cash dollar tip, they're like, want a case of wine? Yeah. Why, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Napa doesn't look like downtown LA. It doesn't. There's and, several but, differences. But, <laughs> but, but I guess maybe the, the grapes don't know that. Oh, they do. So oh. here's the thing. Um in downtown Los Angeles, you have a few things going on that are pretty unique climactically from, say, Napa or like Santa Maria. Um, number one, uh, you have a great deal more sunlight in Los Angeles. Not so much this year, but generally speaking, right. um, you do have about 320 days of sunlight mm-hmm. every single year. Um, number two, you have... Uh, a lot less uh, sunlight cover, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and number three, um, you know, the soil, depending on where you are in Napa, generally speaking, going to be a little bit rockier, um, but oh. not necessarily, right? Are, are these good or bad things? Do I want now, sun? Yeah, so it depends. So as a, for instance, Pinot Noir is a very thin-skinned grape, um, very uh, light color. I think we've all seen a glass of Pinot Noir, right? You can almost see through it. Mm. Um, that doesn't do great with a lot of sun. Um, but um, you also have grapes like uh, Tanat or Syrah, 
um, which do very, very well. Uh, they have thicker skins. They have darker skins. They've adapted to their environment over hundreds and hundreds of years, mm -hmm. and then they were brought here. So a lot of it's a question of what great belongs here. Um, mm -hmm. If you, I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, there are grapes growing on vines all over Los Angeles. Many of those vines are very, very old. Um, they tend to be Mission, Zinfandel, Cinso, Carignan, all of these grapes that are like specifically like for hot weather climates. Um, there's a few producers who are making really cool wines out of them. Um, Centralas makes a wine uh, out of Rancho Cucamonga that's uh, mostly Carignan. Um, it's really cool, and it's this thing where um, I hope that the right people get turned on to this. Uh, I have a fear. Uh, there's one gentleman who's making wine uh, here who changed the name of the grape mission, uh, or Mission, depending on who you ask, into Pais. Uh, it is the same genetic grape. Pais exists in Chile um, and is a little bit more highly regarded. Mm -hmm. Mission is sort of viewed as like, oh, this used to be what people planted. Um, so we're already starting to see some linguistic gentrification. Interesting. Uh, and uh, there's even uh, some vines, if you look real closely uh, near what used to be called Junipero Serra Park, there's even some vines that are very obviously growing. Ironically enough, uh, I'm trying to get enough grapes to make wine out of downtown Los Angeles. The only reason I think I might have found enough of these vines is because I spent a few years uh, ducking through various little spots and all that. <laughs> um, so I've learned, uh, learned, learned the plant topography. Let's, let's wrap up the wine chat with mm -hmm. uh, something up my alley. Yeah. Two buck chuck. Okay. I worked with a guy at KPCC, mm -hmm. uh, Matthew DeBoard, who is mm -hmm. also a, a wine expert, and you guys would actually be best friends. He he told me that two buck chuck is fine, and and that that you can make a profit off of it, mm -hmm. and this should be a bigger deal. But people, I guess, get greedy and turn it into jugs of wine for seven bucks. Um, what's your take about all that? Uh. Without getting too in the weeds, so there's a few things that, that are going on. One, um, in order to make expensive wine, um, you need to make cheap wine for a few years. Uh, vines, when you put them in the ground, um, don't really give you any fruit that's worth harvesting uh, in any real way for at least five years. And generally speaking, depending on the vine, 10 to 15 years is where you start to make wine that you can sell for a lot of money. Um, whatever a lot of money is to you. Mm -hmm. uh, so what what do you do with all the juice before that, right? <laughs> you sell it as bulk, so you get some compensation. Um, there's also sometimes something goes wrong in the vineyard enough or wrong in the winemaking operation enough to where you don't necessarily want to put your name on it, mm. but it's fine, right? <laughs> uh, let me give you an example, right? Uh -huh. If you're selling a wine, say your wine retails for $80, okay. right? Uh, if something goes even a little bit wrong, can you sell it for 80 bucks? I don't know about you, but 80 bucks is a lot of money for a tasty beverage for me. So I would be less likely, I, I would be a little offended if I paid $80 and there was something, you know, slightly off. Now, if you paid $2 for that wine, <laughs> you're fine, right? It's great. It'll get you drunk. 
Yeah. Um, you know what? I still to this day occasionally drink some Franzia, you know? I, mm-hmm. I love it. It's actually it's a little bit sugary. It's the the I my mom used to call it the chapless. <laughs> uh which is I think how they want you to pronounce it. Mm. Uh the region is called Chablis. It's not from there. Yeah. Um but you know, it's if people are enjoying what they're drinking and having fun, that's what's important, right? I worked uh, at a. I worked for a very famous chef. There's literally a documentary about how mean he was, mm-hmm. right? Um, one day he screamed at me for, and I'm not exaggerating, an hour. Um, wow. And uh, I'm pretty good at you know just listening and things like that. But there does come a point, and we're all humans. There does come a point where you are going to give it back, yeah. you know. And actually, I I in I think it's important to do that. You know, I've seen um, out in the fields, uh, reporters are, you know, and this is protests nationwide. Reporters are hit, beaten, sexually harassed, uh, particularly female reporters, um, you know, stalked. Um, you know, it's 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 not safe. Um, and, you know, it's one of my frustrations oftentimes with, um, policing, uh, when you're covering protests, and I know a lot of journalists share this frustration is, um, you know, you're worried about what's going on behind you, to the right of you, to the left of you, and what's in your camera all at the same time. You've got this guy going over there. You've got this guy going over there. You've got rocks coming over your head, you know, and I'm often in the middle. So it's funny when officers will say like, I got pelted in the head with, you know, a rock or a piece of water or, whatever like that. And I'm like, yeah, man, I was literally in the middle of that. I got pelted by way more than you did. Like, you can't <laughs> complain to me. Like, I'm sorry. You got hit too. Do you that wear a, sucks. Do you wear a helmet out there? Uh, I always, so here's, this is important. Actually, the, you always want to dress correctly for the occasion. Right. And you don't always know what the occasion is. I always elect to overdress. Um, so, uh, my equipment goes somewhere between, um, jeans and a t-shirt and my camera phone and some sunglasses to level 3A body armor, Kevlar sleeves. Mm. Um, I never do anything that's illegal. Occasionally I've had uh, pepper spray in my pocket when I'm not, when I'm in a jurisdiction where that's allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, helmet, visor. Um, so it's, you know, whatever I think the night's going to be, Mm-hmm. That's what I prepare for. Do you have any signage that says press? Yes. Um, so I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it should be necessary to have like press written all over you mm-hmm. or anything like that. But um, generally speaking, 99.5% of the time, um, I wear a press pass. Um, there's mm. been a few occasions where it's like, I, I mean, particularly early on during the BLM movement, there were so many things going on that there would be times where I'd be driving home from a protest and be like, oh, there's another protest. I mean, I'll go check it out. <laughs> you know, um, who issued your press pass? Uh, NPAA has issued me a press pass. Who's that? Uh, National Photographers Association. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. And PPA. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've got one from, uh, you know, Knock LA has given me one. Um, is that, is that a sheriff's one? or is That, that is a not a sheriff's that's a, one. That's no, a Knock LA one. I, I, I like many uh, photographers, videographers, and journalists will not pay money to the organization that I am covering um, <laughs> right. in order to cover that organization. I think that that's basic ethical 101 shit. Also, can I swear on this, Brian? Well, I'm about, I'm about to. All right. Who the fuck are they to give us press passes? Right. Well, and it also bears mentioning that um, as far as LAPD is concerned, mm-hmm. uh, and they occasionally uh, either forget this or refuse to follow their own policy, um, they have stated many times over um, that you do not need to have an issued press pass to be considered a duly appointed member of the press. Great. Um, and by the way, we didn't need them to say that anyways. Right. Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those funny things where if some, you know, if somebody said, like, if you're standing outside of your house and someone walked past and went, hey, you're good standing there, you'd be like, I, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> you don't need to tell me that. Um, you know, we both agree. And there's this, there's this sort of funny thing where the police keep claiming that, you know, oh, well, it's hard to figure out who's press and who's not. And it's like, well, cool. Um, how about you only arrest people that are throwing stuff and, or whatever, you know, committing a crime, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and Crazy then idea. if you just, you know, it, you don't need to know if somebody's <laughs> press or not, then you could just arrest people who are committing the crimes that you're authorized okay. to arrest people for. Honestly, the, the, the arrest in, uh, San Pedro was actually a bigger hassle for me, which was, I would argue the most questionable arrest of me. <laughs> Okay. Of all time. So, um, and uh, William Good was there, was arrested there as well. Um, oh, was this the, uh, uh, where the, the you, the, yeah, with the, the crutches? On, yeah, that's me. You had, you were the one with the crutches <laughs> yeah. that day? Yeah. Oh my so God. So I had, uh, I had torn my, uh, or well, not torn, but I had like strained an already torn ACL. Um, and so I was on crutches. So yeah, so the cops are telling everybody to go this way. They're trying to go that way. And my whole thing is I was like, Hey, like, you know, I'm trying to follow them, but I'm also like trying to say like, Hey, like, like I would also like to have a separate conversation because it's not even the same conversation with me. You know what I mean? I'll go wherever it's fine, but also like, Hey, give me a minute, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, but yeah, an LA sanitation worker told, uh, William and another activist and myself that we could hang out where we were hanging out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had all my gear set up. Um, and then suddenly, uh, an officer came by, told us we couldn't, um, to be honest with you, I was ready to kind of tell him, no, I can, uh, by that time, William being William, <laughs> uh, much, he, much shorter fuse than you and I, uh, yeah, well, I have a, yeah, I've been known to I've been known to pop off every <laughs> once in a while, but I'm I'm pretty calm normally. Um, but yeah, he's he's like they, they told us, you know, and then uh, told us to go one way. Everyone started going that way. Told us to go the other way. Started going the other way. You know, I'm on crutches, so I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm <laughs> lagging behind. Um, told everybody there was a minute, uh, and then about ten seconds later, arrested one of the activists. Which is which is it's so good it was on video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you probably would have seen some combination of myself and film mm-hmm. the police's filming. Um, because, and this guy's a training officer who's mm-hmm. like, you've got a minute to get out of here. Right. And so you guys are trying to figure out, well, which way do you want me to yeah. go? Mm-hmm. And 
I think it's less than 10 seconds. He's like, forget it. You're arrested. Yeah. And, and partly it's because William was getting under his skin verbally, but that sure you're professional. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to Kobe shoots the, the free throw when mm-hmm. everybody's booing. Right. The cop can't wait a minute mm-hmm. to see what you guys do before he handcuffs you. Yeah, I guess not. I don't know. So did you, so, sh- were you so the I one that up- shot the, the video of, of him getting arrested? Yes, that is mine. <laughs> uh, so after after I got arrested, uh, it was so funny because they've got me like dangling in a car because I'm like, hey, like I can't move my leg, my guy. Like this is this is, the, you know, they're at, at one point they were like, oh, we're gonna go to the police station, and I remember saying like, I don't think we're gonna go there, like because I had hit press. I had by that time I had pressed tweet already, so I, before like I had filmed their arrest and then pressed tweet. So I was like, Good I don't, I don't think we're even going to get to the station. You know, Good for you. it wasn't like me challenging the officers. It was me literally as statement of fact, like, Hey, like, I don't think you understand what's going on here. Um, cited and, and me. You, and you say it because you, th- your belief was this tweet's going to go so viral that film the police is being arrested and and I've got video of him getting a minute warning yeah. and in 10 seconds. Therefore, the cops are going to tell this training officer, knock it off. Let well, these guys go. I, my, my thought was this. Um, I, I, that's, not, that's sort of accurate. My thought was this is I was thinking to myself, um, people have already seen a questionable arrest, you know, um, at that point. Uh, it's going to be questioned. They're going to realize, wait a minute. He filmed a questionable arrest, and then all of a sudden, he's not answering his phone. <laughs> you know, because there are there are some you know press agencies and some friends and things like that that are that check up on me every once Good. in a while. Because what I do is dangerous. Yeah, you know, um, and I appreciate them for that. Um, some of them I wish worked harder than others, but <laughs> I won't go into that today. Uh, and then, so yeah, so then I got cited. Um, <laughs> They made me move to the other base. They made, they made me move like what ultimately was like 10 feet away from where we were. Um, yeah, okay, 50 feet. Um, but where they made us move, there was no sight line originally. But luckily, I had a monopod and I just kind of <laughs> uh, turned it, like just held it up really high. Hey, you journalists, go move to where you can't see. Right. Well, that's, you know, I mean, any city operation, I mean, I know, you know, what's often called a comprehensive cleanup isn't interesting to everybody, but you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of discussion about how we treat the unhoused in this community, especially at that particular location, which was, um, you know, part of Buscaino's district. Um, mm, yeah. a lot of discussion about it. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, even some of Buscaino's city councilman friends were like, this is, be- this is fucked up, dude. Like, don't <laughs> do this. So, uh, yeah, so then what ended up happening was um, they uh, originally told me they were going to charge me with um, uh, with 5611, which is funny because 5611 uh, is a statute that uh, a judge told the city of Los Angeles you couldn't charge people with. And what is it? Uh, well, so what's funny is, is it's actually a series of statutes. The specific one that they charged me with stated, uh, I believe it was a, uh, bulky item, uh, charge, which I took as a fat joke. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not appreciative of it. Uh, but, um, certain statutes in 5611 are, um, you know, you're not allowed to charge. Um, it's essentially interference with a government or city cleanup. Mm. Um, and I was like, I'm not interfering. Like I'm chilling, man. I'm over here. Like, don't, yeah. you know, 
Um, so then uh, I had to call a bunch of lawyers. Um, eventually, one of them was able to get a hold of the city attorney who was like, hey, uh, that's not what we're actually charging them with. And, I, and my, the city, the, the attorney working for me was like, yeah, that's probably smart because you're not allowed to. <laughs> um, then uh, they told me that there would be a hearing, um, which is like this weird unofficial little like gathering of lawyers and myself at this in the attorney's house or no uh, it, was, it was via phone call oh oh because so, we're still covid right yeah so it was still yeah. still covid so um, just a phone call where everybody's like yeah and then they told me that if i didn't attend or you know that they would charge me and so i was like all right whatever you know yeah. I, I guess i'll get on this hearing and then um you know that's when i started like looking into it and i was like you can't charge me with this like actually like you know and my lawyers i'm sure did work uh towards saying like are you sure you want to fight about this kind of thing <laughs> um and about 12 hours before the hearing they they said never mind so 12 um, hours so, so you yeah, did so, do the right thing and contacted your lawyer yeah you didn't have to go down to court. No, 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 no. I, I, I had to contact them because I was like, "Hey, like, just confirming that the still that the hearing is going on." Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, "Yeah, there's no hearing. Sorry about right, that. Good. Never mind." Yeah. Well, good. they didn't say sorry about that. Right. Of course. No, not. no attorney will ever say the word sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's just not a word you say in law. I'm told. Mm. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Knock LA. Yeah. Because a lot of your pieces are in Knock LA. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they're best known for Cerise's pieces on the sheriffs. Yeah. Uh, you come in a, a strong number two. If, Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. I, I think John Peltz's work is really good. Oh, John, well. too. Yeah. I love John. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I guess I don't read Knock LA enough. I will say this. Uh, John, um, John does work that even I would never in a million years want to get into, which is... Um, boring city politics right i i you'll see if you ever see me covering city politics uh something has gone horribly wasn't, wrong wasn't he live tweeting uh, the city hall meeting the other yeah day? so me john there were so many people live tweeting that thing i think uh, i want to say i was live tweeting it uh john was live tweeting it i think julia wick uh love julia was wick. Live tweeting. she is a very talented she wait not but not for not no for, not not for knock la right you know Right. Um, I'm not sure who was doing it for knock. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I, that's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. You could add it in later, but, but again, kudos to knock mm-hmm. and all you people who yeah. are live tweeting mm-hmm. or as us old people say tweeting. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the events of city hall, because mm-hmm. it's, it's not everybody has the, the local channel. Not yeah. everybody gives a crap. Mm-hmm. And Twitter to me is better than my cable TV now. Mm-hmm. Because um, I follow the right people like you, mm-hmm. and there usually there's not a, any opinion in these tweets. They just say mm-hmm. caller number fifteen says KDL should resign. Yeah, and and you're like, all right, that's that's nice to see. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, those live tweets are usually done by uh, all base all day, which I always laugh right. because I, when that account was created, I it was I I don't think that they were expecting Karen Bass to that's run right. for office. It's a basist. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but yeah. But it's... okay. So, anyways, kudos to Knock because I feel like, um, and this very couch is where LAist in 2006 um, 
did a lot of its work. Mm-hmm. And now that LAist is not what it used to be, mm-hmm. um, I think there's a huge void out there between the LA Times and just Rando is on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And and I think that a smaller press um, like Knock mm-hmm. is the perfect place for um, a little bit more punk rock journalists like yourself <laughs> and John and Cerise, mm-hmm. who, who do things properly, but with a little bit of an edge. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, um, I always like to joke, like, uh, we need to bring back... Newspapers have been getting smaller and smaller over the years, um, you know, and some stories belong on page 19J, <laughs> right? Like, that's that's where they belong, but they still belong in the paper. Yes. You know, people still need to know that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's also... And sometimes those are the best little stories. Yeah, well, and it's also, I, I think, what's important about what um, Knock does, uh, specifically, um, is, uh, there's a much more, uh, sort of personal aspect to it. You know, it's, it's one thing to read about this weird little gondola, right? Um, (laughs) which like, I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't have a strong opinion personally about the gondola because I, because I don't follow the gondola enough. Um, but you know, these gondola protests to the people who are protesting the gondola, right? It's a very personal issue for those who don't know and the reason i'm cracking up is it's the, the plan is to take people from union station to dodger stadium which we do need a solution for this it's not easy and this where we're recording this isn't that far and so traffic is is messed up and if and so if we could funnel everybody to a lot of people to union station and get their butts over to dodger stadium that'd be great is the gondola the way to go who knows the, but the neighbors who the gondola would would pass over? They're furious about it. Do not want this. They at do all. not want it at all. Um, you know, and to them, it's a it's a you know a potentially catastrophic event. You know, having thousands of people walking around for half the year—that's a lot of you know. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, most newspapers uh, would write about sort of just the general debate about the gondola but it's also important to you know really get into like this affects somebody's life like Mm -hmm. very fully Mm -hmm. you know and it's also you know i think you know this is something i try to do with my twitter account again you know 32j or whatever type of things where it's like to me i find a guy who is driving around delivering ice cream and all the ice cream pours all over the street i find that to be just as interesting a story does it affect as many people as you know the fallout from the uh nuri martinez and kdl tapes Mm -hmm. no but you know it's interesting right Mm -hmm. let's talk about kdl oh boy i have taken it under my wing anytime that dude posts on facebook Mm -hmm. i'm gonna tell him he needs to resign okay because nobody else is doing it I have noticed this. Uh, I think... Now, they're doing it at City Hall. Yeah. But it seems to me, and I've never been to a City mm-hmm. Hall meeting. I, I should one day. Uh, they're, I shouldn't? They're, no, they're a trip. They're, they're, I, so I, I am not generally a politics reporter. Like I yeah. said, things have to go pretty wrong for me to be involved in a city politics <laughs> story. Because I just, as a general rule, I think that what I do right now... Re- mostly reporting on city politics 
makes it a little weird. Right. Um, but things got so weird that uh, I ended up covering city politics for a little while. I remember calling my mom and being like, well, guess I'm going to be hanging around city politics for a little while because, uh, ha- you know, a bunch of city hall uh, or a bunch of city councilmen decided to say some very racist, mm-hmm. uh, occasionally anti-Semitic things. Can, can we get into specifics? What yeah. Can, so... What I remember is he called Mike Bonin's adopted mm-hmm. Mike Bonin. t- yeah. Bonin's uh, adopted two-year-old black baby, mm-hmm. compared him to a, a handbag. Correct. What, um, what else am I missing? Well, that, then this yeah. was this was a, a mm-hmm. leaked uh, meeting mm-hmm. um, that I guess somebody got the telephone line. Uh, yeah, it's it's still unclear it. on exactly how that was recorded, and, and nobody has figured out who leaked mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I don't there's, been, get... there's been lots of rumors, and I'm not going to lie. I'm waiting for someone to, without evidence, just say I did it. Uh, I didn't, but that'd be fun for a couple of days for it people would... to think. Um, so anyway, so this got out. Mm-hmm. Nuri resigned. She was the council president. Nuri resigned within a few days. Yeah, she didn't want to of, at first. Of the release of the tape, yeah. Right. And then uh, uh, the other guy, Gil. Sadio. He he was he seemed like just a grumpy dude in general, and so he grumpily just petered off because he well he had already lost by the time he lost his election. Yeah, so he had lost his election, and then Kevin mm-hmm. refused. Yeah, just to hanging leave. out. Um, his defense has been pretty bizarre. Uh, he's um that numerous times sort of. Denied that what he said was hurtful in any way. Denied that what he said was racist. Um, you know, said, well, you know, I should have, you know, the real problem is, is I should have left. Well, no, <laughs> what you said was the problem, too. You know, um, and also, you know. The, and Bonin called him a racist after He it. did. He did. Um, you know, and um there's a lot of going on with this, right? So yeah. first of all, you have, um, you know, several city council members effectively bullying um, an outgoing other uh, city council member. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have um, really concerning racist and homophobic language directed mm-hmm. not just at a city council member, but their child. Mm-hmm. Um, you have... Another element, which is a little bit harder to get into the weeds on, but you also have effectively uh, a bunch of city council members discussing, or at least hinting at discussing, um, actively taking power away from an already disenfranchised group Mm -hmm. um, in order to empower themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't... I think I think the bullying part and the disenfranchisement part have both sort of been forgotten because because they wanted to to, to re- redo the map so that black people would have less power. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's a simplification, but I think an accurate one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, after that, um, people were you know understandably angry. Uh, I don't. Um, and then um, you know the protests they they still exist. They're not like what they were. Uh, the city council meeting directly after that was i can't stress enough one of the most bizarre things i've ever covered um so you have you know so you have a lot of um you know anti-racist groups there you have a lot of um sort of 
pro-union, you know, pro, um, I guess, uh, particularly Oaxacan community groups. Um, you have groups like Black Lives Matter LA. The Hawkins, because somehow they they caught some stray bullets off of yeah, this conversation so, uh, too. Yeah, so in in the discussion they were uh, they were made fun of as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, you also had uh, sort of a bizarre group of people that were like defending specifically Kevin DeLeon because yeah. Nuri had, had had resigned shortly before the meeting. Um, you know, Sadio, people just kind of were like, he's gone in a month anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that group uh, was, and I want to be really careful about how I say this because it's really important. There, there's a lot of context here. So that group was people who primarily worked very closely with Kevin DeLeon, largely in the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. Um, people who effectively his office had rewarded with contracts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, sort of a an offshoot who I can't stress enough are not affiliated with uh, most of the Brown Berets you see. This is a offshoot. I, I'm not speaking about specifically the Brown Berets, but this specific offshoot who, again, had been kicked out um, and had had spent most of their time in the last few years um, attempting to hijack protests and starting their own 5G protests um, and uh, really some bizarre stuff. Uh, And uh, those were the people that were out there for KDL. Um, Hmm. You know, so... uh, And and in the bigger picture of things, mm -hmm. both Nuri and KDL... We're kind of the future of Latino democratic politics Absolutely. In, in LA, if not yeah. California. Well, I think I think specifically, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, KDL has been, this is how the Democratic Party works, had been viewed as a rising star for mm-hmm. almost 20 years. Right. You know, I mean. The, and he just couldn't turn the corner. He couldn't mm-hmm. He couldn't make it to mass popularity for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And um, part of that was he, he had a history of not waiting his turn. Uh, uh, and when I say not waiting his turn, I don't mean from my perspective. I right. mean, you know going against some heavy hitters in the Democratic Party and things like yeah. that. So um, he had always had trouble getting mainstream Democratic support. Um, but he was starting to turn that corner. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Nuri Martinez is probably the most powerful person, was probably the most powerful person in Los Angeles politics, uh, including the mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and... Yeah. And she blew it. Yeah. I have two cats. Uh, one I uh, got in a bar in Milwaukee. Um, this uh, this woman came into my neighborhood bar uh, and was like, can anyone take this cat? And my wife at the time was like, we will. And then I remember being like, oh, I guess I have a cat now. Um, What's the cat's name? His name is Copernicus. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because I was not super on board uh, with taking him, but within like 20 minutes of us getting home, he he knew who he knew who to impress. Yeah, uh, he, he, so uh, so before or after Copernicus that you made your Twitter handle? Oh, way after. Um, so I uh, 
it actually came from, um, you know, when I first started uh, going out to document things was like right during the first of the George Floyd solidarity protests, um, being someone who has attended and even filmed protests before, a uh, real big fan of having um, facial coverage mm. um, because, uh, you know, there were already, it was already pretty obvious um, when George Floyd uh, was murdered mm-hmm. that um, there were going to be a lot of people out and yeah. um, that, you know, anytime you have thousands of people out on the street and they're all passionate, you're going to have people who, uh, might be dangerous. You know what I mean? Uh, might be absolutely. You know, police. Uh, well, they're wearing military outfits. Yeah, they, they're they're carrying swastikas. Like they're not there to kiss you. Right. Well, I mean, I, I've never seen what I, what I mean by that is, is especially in the first few days. So I had that balaclava just because. It's nice to have balaclava is actually really useful as a safety tool, believe it or not. Uh, I don't wear them anymore because I realized like it does sort of make things weird. But um, it was a little kitty cat balaclava that I just happened to have from a Halloween uh, <laughs> costume. And then I just changed my name. Um, and then now I've gotten to the point where I feel like I'm stuck with this stupid Twitter handle. Uh, I think it's great. It's actually it's kind of gotten to the point where I've I've, I've felt so stuck with it that I think it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, you know, particularly like uh, there's a few January 6th documents and it's just really funny to me to see, you know, uh, them like taking little Twitter captions and things like that. Oh. And it's really funny to see like a cat with news, like in a federal <laughs> indictment of a Capitol writer. It's look like it's really funny. Hmm? Um, I think often about this. So do you remember the Wee Spa protests? Of course. Those were... Some of the gnarliest protests I've ever seen. Were, were um, you there? Did you get hit by one of those bottles? Uh, I don't think I got hit by any bottles at that one. Because I'm thinking about the corner. Yeah. Where the cops were. I think the cops were on both sides of that. That. Yeah. So basically, okay. I know which day. I know which day in position you're talking about. So mm-hmm. what you're describing was, um, you know, the there's this Korean spa which. Uh, a person who has a penis, uh, who states they're a transgender woman, um, had attended. Uh, someone saw their penis. Uh, That's and what everyone says. Do you believe that it's true? Uh, did, did the trans person say that this, that this so, was true? So, yeah, I think that their penis was probably seen. Um, I don't – I to me, it's like, you know – well, spas this have- is This is why this book is so important because – it's important to know that some women have penises. Yes. If you if they had known that, then they would have maybe been fine. Um, you know, I don't. I I I am someone who I I try to stay out of too much culture war stuff. Yeah. But I I do think that it's important to know um, that you know trans people exist and mm-hmm. some women have penises. Um, and go. look, I grew up not knowing that. That was a, a bit of a surprise to me when I first found it out. But we adjusted pretty but, quickly, didn't we? But hey, you know what? I, I think about you know my my second cousin. Um, you know, I I I I I got to explain uh, LGBT issues. Uh, we don't have any one gay in my family, as far as I'm aware. So I was mm-hmm. sort of I'm always sort of elected to explain complex things to the to the kids. But there's and, a lot of things that as we get older we learn. Yeah, and but here's the thing: when you're when you're nine you know she goes hey you know how come you know little stevie 
uh, has a mommy and a mommy. And I remember being like, because some people have two mommies. And she was like, oh, dope. And then she went right back to playing with her Legos. So it's not, you know, you got to get them early. Yeah. But anyway, so both sides are incredibly mad at each other. The previous ones, some people had been stabbed. Mm-hmm. All sorts of people were hit in the face with all sorts of things, including a skateboard. There was blood. It was rough. And lots man. of video on this. Lots of video. It was. It was. It was like the Super Bowl for independent sure journalists. Um, but uh, I'll never forget this again. The, the reasonably held thing. So the Proud Boy slash anti pride, you know, anti trans slash. Some of them were just mad about the Wee Spa thing. I think. Um, not many of <laughs> a them. A spa they've never been like, to. Yeah, yeah. Spa, and that's an expensive spa. Let me tell you, there's reasons to protest that spa. Like, is, those it, is prices it more than are like nuts. fifty bucks? Oh, it's way more. Oh, but you get to stay the whole day. Yeah, I saw yeah, a yeah. video of a person who did twenty three mm-hmm. hours there. Yeah, no, I, I actually it was funny after after these protests. I remember both times texting a, a journalist buddy of mine, and I'm like, well, the worst part of covering all this is like, now I need a spa day, and I can't even go. <laughs> But, uh, so, yeah, so, there's, you know, these sides are both, like, both people, you know, nominally protecting Wee Spa or pro-trans, however you want to categorize them, and anti-trans slash, you know, there were members of multiple violent hate groups there and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Both sides were very clear about the fact that they were there to bash the other one. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, and that's, regardless of your opinions, you need to know that going in, right? Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> So I'll never forget this. This lady comes up to me and, you know, we're waiting for both sides essentially to be in the same location. You know, the the anti-trans folks are like literally on their way. This lady comes up to me and she's like, hey, can I borrow you for a minute? And I'm like, uh, I, I always want to be nice. I'm actually a nice guy. So I'm like, hey, like kind of busy right now. But like, what's up? You know, she goes, well, I'm a professional mediator. And I was wondering if you could tell me who's leading both groups. Mm. And let me tell you something. I have never, that's the only time as a journalist I have ever been like, lady, you got to get the hell out of here. Like, <laughs> you have no idea what you're in for. Like, these groups are about to bash each other's heads in. This is not a situation where, like, you know, Mr. Stevenson and Mr. Johnson are arguing over who gets the corner office. Like, yeah. this is not one of those. Like, it's not going to help. Anyway, she left mad, and then like 20 minutes later, I saw her running away from Proud Boys. Let's wrap up with this. People should be following you on Twitter. Yes, please. People should be reading you on um, uh, Knock LA. Knock LA, LCRW. Um, What's LCRW? Uh, so I write uh, for, it's called Left Coast Right Watch. Uh, so it's basically documenting things like hate groups, mm-hmm. um, right-wing uh grifters um (laughs) everything everything you can imagine um i did a lot of work on sort of the anti-abortion groups um for both knock and lcrw um and how they interact and how Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of money with those groups uh so lcrw is also great um you can also see me on knock la do you have a TikTok, a Facebook, an Instagram? I uh, don't have a TikTok, uh, Instagram, uh, same uh, same social media handles, a cat with news. Um, well, I want to say thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for what you do. It's I love hearing about different neighborhoods. Well, good. And and but what I do is not dangerous. 
And what I do doesn't involve a lot of travel. You came to meet today, which was great. You I'm, came early. You came. I mean, with a you gift. say it's not dangerous, but you know, you're using the LA Times neighborhood map, so you know yeah, that's true. <laughs> and and I mean, but but you are literally in front of people who who are there to fight. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, <laughs> ideally, ideally, I'm on the side, but yeah. Right. Do you see yourself doing this in five, ten years? Uh, you know, I. In five to ten years, um, I hope no loved ones are watching this because they will absolutely yell at me for saying this, but um, one of the things that I am becoming really interested in is um, the way that war affects people and the way that war um, changes people and things like that. Um, so uh, I'm also very, very interested in you know, like more localized issues. Um, what I'm realizing is, is you know, uh, I think there's a great need in a lot of places for people who are stupid enough to go there. Um, and I promise you, if any editor is uh, watching, I am stupid enough to go there. You name the place, I will go there. Do you um, do you follow any of these YouTubers that go that intentionally go to dangerous places? I do. I think what I do is stupid. I think that um, in order to properly document wars and things like that, I do think that. You need to take more steps than a lot of them do. Um, and I mm -hmm. think that you also, I don't think you need a fixer necessarily. Um, in fact, I'm pitching a thing where I intentionally don't necessarily have a fixer. Um, but you do need to be a little bit more tuned in to where you're dropping yourself and things like that. So if you could right now, would you go to uh, Ukraine? and? Uh... Uh, I would go to the Ukraine. I would go to Yemen. I would go to um, Syria. Uh Wherever, wherever there's money to be had, I'll, I'll go. Hmm. As long as, as long as it's enough to buy some cigarettes and put my cats up in a hotel. So you're a mercenary for journalism. Uh, I would like ideally to be, you know, it, it's I, look. I'm getting older. Uh, I would like to be, you know, paid every week. Um, you know, <laughs> that'd be nice. Or every other week, even. What did they used to call this back in the olden days when uh, there's budgets? Stringers. No, no, no. They, uh, uh, like an like an international a for a foreign correspondent. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what you want to be is a foreign correspondent. I that's that's one thing. I I also I love covering protests and covering movements and things like but that. Again, it would be a foreign correspondent mm -hmm. to a scene where mm -hmm. you don't want to send your Annenberg intern. Yeah, uh, somebody's going to know how to handle themselves. Mm -hmm. Are there people on YouTube right now that you, that you watch that you admire? Are there names that you have? Um, there's a few. Uh, I really like, um, it's called uh, Step Back. Okay. Um, he is a historian. Um, he definitely has a leftist point of view. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he does. He did a great deal of documenting um, sort of the, and tracing the far right in the United States and Canada. Um I would, I, that's another thing I would, if SBLC is listening, I, I will also work for you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so they're great. Um, I really, uh, unfortunately YouTube, a lot of folks that cover protests and things like that, um, it's gotten sort of wrapped up in a lot of like what, what I would call like the debate bro mm. culture, um, which I don't, I don't think it's healthy to toxically you know, yell at each other. It's for the same reason I don't want to watch Stephen A. Smith anymore. Like, right. it, it's, I don't, I, there's enough yelling in my life. I, I don't need to well, see more of it. Especially that early in the morning. Yeah. Mamma mia. Mm-hmm. Um, other YouTube channels. I well, think I'm that's, thinking yeah. about guys like uh, Bald, the, the world traveler Bald mm -hmm. guy. Uh, he, um, 
he 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 like learned Russian because he's okay. just so interested in the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and he would go places you're not supposed to go. Yeah, and shoot video, and once in a while get arrested. Mm-hmm. But those soldiers are so poor, he just has a pocket full of money and just gives it to him. Okay. That's what it seems like. Yeah, yeah. But but mm. but they're using these tiny little Sony cameras mm-hmm. that I guess are good with batteries, and yeah. and they get to take you places that for some reason. The, the quote-unquote real media mm-hmm. isn't going to, yeah. which is heartbreaking to me because mm-hmm. I love journalism so much. And and even though I was I, I came up as a blogger, I'm not crazy about citizen journalism for the most part, mm-hmm. which I bet you a lot of people call you. I, I think, honestly, there was a time where I was okay calling myself that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think labels are helpful in some ways. Mm-hmm. I think giving yourself a label is only limiting yourself you, you know go. what i mean so uh, but 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 what i'm saying though is i'm warming to it yeah because if if these billionaires are going to buy these news organizations and then crumble them mm-hmm. and dilute them i mean there was a time where we used to have a, a weekly newspaper here mm-hmm. that was pretty punk rock mm-hmm. and that's gone and so if if there's all these voids something's going to fill it mm-hmm. so if it's a cat with news fuck yeah yeah, I mean, I uh, more to come. Uh, wish I could tell you more, but I'll uh, I'll let you know when it's time. So nice meeting you. You too. Thanks for coming. All right, thanks again. How great was Sean? You know who we'd have a sip of Santa Barbara Merlot with? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying Tony Jordan. Thanks for letting us hear from a cat with news. Take all of our money. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky, Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, Ben from Down Under, Chris from the ATX, and Gregor. To be a Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal or Venmalt, 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website or Medium blog forever. And catch this, people, because this is uh, episode number 99, something that we may stop doing very soon is having Angelinos. So, this is might be your last chance to be an Angelino and have your name listed on that blog or website, whatever happens, forever. So, uh, shout out to our newest and maybe last Angelino, Sean Atlow. Merci beaucoup. Just send your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com if you want to be on that list. Want to support us, but you just paid so much money to take a family of four to that Marvel movie in IMAX? You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook, OMG Post 2. Tweet something nice about this, and anytime you see me tweet about an episode, retweet it! Just beep! Just, th- 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 I think that's the sound of doves crying. Beep! And for good sake, for good sake, for God's sake, tell your friends. Tell your friends how we hear in LA is spelled, and that it's on Apple Podcasts, and Google, and Spotify, and Twitter, and Facebook, and Instagram. Oh my God, it's on everything. Instagram stories. It's in your dreams, people. Here in L.A. sometimes is in your dreams. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who is a banjo sommelier, Jordan Katz. 
Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and people everywhere doing their best to make the world a better place. Merci beaucoup, Patriots!